the perfect formula doesn't exist. And, and the person that is convinced that, you know, they know it best uh, are the ones that have just stopped learning. And we are very convinced that we can learn every day and we, we just challenge ourselves constantly, not only to look at the other part that we like to acquire, but we try to spend, and especially at our top executive uh, leader uh, team, try to go out and visit as many other parks as possible. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great, but how are you? I am fantastic. Woo! And I have a question. Okay, yes, and. All right, so you may not want to name a name, and that's okay, but Thinking of your high school and college experiences, can you recall your least favorite professor? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I will not name them by name, but okay. yes, I, okay. I remember. Uh, well, I will say 10th grade biology. Let's just say that. Okay. Okay. And what was it about that professor or teacher that made them your least favorite? It was very dry. It was very, it was very old school. It was very much, uh, here's the information that you must learn and memorize and repeat it back on the test. And I can tell you, I, I don't really remember all that much that I learned that year. Yeah. Yeah. Why do so, you ask? Well, because um, one of the things that we talk about today with our guest is about emotions, right? And emotional connections and how our experiences when accompanied with emotion tend to be more memorable. And yeah. certainly he's talking about it from a from an attraction standpoint, but he made a, amazing um, correlations to learning. So training and learning and, and education, but also to haunted houses, right? That's true. <laughs> when you go through a haunted house and you get scared, that's an emotion and you're going to remember that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, I will tell you, my 12th grade Spanish teacher, Senor Venatelli, he was memorable. That was fun. And that was a perfect way for me to take Spanish four and then move to Florida for 12 years right after that. It ended up being extremely helpful from that standpoint. Very good. Absolutely. <laughs> now you've yeah. got my gears turning, my favorite and least favorite teachers and professors. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think... I remember at some point in the last 200 and something episodes, we did talk about favorite professors. So we I had, had to... some of my professors on. At least one. <laughs> yeah. <I can> yeah. <laughs> we had Duncan. We did. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we, we talked to Renato Lenzi. He is the chief operating officer of the dolphin company, which operates more than 30 uh, marine animal parks, water parks, adventure parks in many countries all over the world. And we really get to talk about uh, creating those memorable experiences that allow them to deliver the education in an entertaining way, because 
that's the industry that we're in. We're in the business of fun. And like you just said, that those create the most memorable ways uh, that people retain information. So being able to deliver education through entertainment makes for an overall enjoyable experience that also fits in with the company's mission of being able to educate its visitors on on everything about marine life and conservation and uh, and being able to to keep these species thriving into the next generation. And what I thought was so fascinating was the way he not only talked about kind of all those subjects as they related to one another, but then we also kind of um, turned the conversation and talked a little bit about social media, but it was still kind of similar, right? Because uh, social media, when done correctly, can elicit emotions and it can help you um, get to know the facility a little bit better. And he talked about how that not only helped from a, a guest perspective and, you know, a 12 year old who, you know, experienced the park and experienced it through social media now wants to be a veterinarian, uh, but also uh, people that may have started at the park and, um, you know, were working there and, or I should say they started as a guest and now they're working there because of not only the in-park experience, but also because of the relationship they built through social media. Mm -hmm. and, and I love how he used the word correctly when talking about social media, because we hear of, of you know, you using it, using it effectively or you're using it, you know, in, in positive way. But, you know, you think of it correctly. Well, that makes it kind of binary. There's there's correct ways and there's incorrect ways to use social media. And uh, that's something that. I personally, maybe I don't think about that that often because I think of you're either using social media effectively or you're not using it enough or at all or whatever it is, but then really being able to uh, to make the biggest impact with social media as it ties into driving awareness and being able to, like you said, influencing people to, to actually build a career. Well, and one of the things that I think was sort of implied in that conversation was using social media correctly for you right? Or for your facility. So the way the dolphin company may use social media might be a little different than someone else, but it's still correct in the way that it's it's helping you achieve your results. And that's something that um, he, he talked a lot about is what are the results you want to want to achieve? And that's one way to get there. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. So should we get to this interview with Renata? Let's dive in. Hey, Renato, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We're really excited for our conversation today. How are you? Excellent. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you, uh, Josh and Matt. Real pleasure. Fantastic. And I feel like we've got a lot of ground to cover and a lot of great topics that we can touch on over the course of this interview here. But to kick this off, can you give us just a, a brief background? Tell us about yourself as well as your career. Sure. I'll be happy to. It's, it's a very unusual one, to be very honest with you. Um, I, I was 16 years old and actually got invited to be a volunteer at a dolphin facility back in Italy. And that was it. I mean, I fell in love with the dolphins and that's how I got, you know, totally focused on, on this as an opportunity to develop my career. So from, from dolphin trainer uh, to, you know, supervisor, manager, I got started to get involved into the operational side of, of the business. And um, so I was offered a position in 1995. Uh, that included managing a facility in French Polynesia in Tahiti. And then uh, from then, uh, um, I moved to Mexico in uh, 2001 and got involved with the company I still work for uh, 20 years later, uh, the Dolphin Company, back then called Dolphin Discovery. A lot of people still know this company is uh, Dolphin Discovery. 
and, and then grow into the position of the chief operational officer, COO. So again, very unusual for somebody to start as a dolphin trainer to grow in this position, but hey, maybe there'll be an opportunity to explain why that all happened uh, during the course of the last uh, 30 years. Absolutely. Well, we'd love to learn more about how that happened, why that happened, um, and really those maybe even some lessons that you've learned along the way, you know, from being a 16 year old and, and falling in love with dolphins to now being the COO. Yeah, I think uh, I was, first of all, I was blessed. I was blessed to find my passion very early because uh, everything else was very easy. I mean, I was very focused. That's what I loved. Uh, so that's what kept me focused on, on my study. And that's what uh, really kept me motivated to, to be able to go back that as a full-time profession as quick as I could. While a lot of kids of my age, you know, end of high school, beginning of college, were still sort of saying, you know, I'll, I'll get to study this as fast as I can, then I'll find out what I want to do with this title, uh, which is something, again, I've seen a lot of times around me. So my, my first lesson learned, uh, and in my case, it was more probably by accident, probably. I say that because I really push for this to happen, but... Um, is, is volunteers as quick as you can um, in your early days because that's going to expose you to opportunity. There's this uh, fantastic YouTuber that has a, a, a channel that is called One Job Per Week. And he started his joke and he said, I, I don't know how many job he has tested all over the world and all over the last few years, but that, that's all, all it comes back to. You know, if you don't know much about a job, how can you like it or dislike it? So I was fortunate enough to get involved early on, loved what I was doing. And I was able also to morph throughout uh, uh, this, this time into different position within those facility where, where my dolphins were, were host at. So that, that has been fantastic. Side to that, I think um, one of the key elements that made my career differ maybe than some of my colleagues is the fact that at some point, the company I was working with was affiliated with the Hilton. Um, I was based out of uh, Big Island, Hawaii, uh, with a, a company that operated a dolphin facility inside the Hilton. And uh, the agreement between that facility and the Hilton was that the staff was treated pretty much like if they were employees of the, of the, of the hotel. So we actually had access to all the uh, human resource uh, department courses that were giving out. And, and Hilton is very structured. I mean, it, there was so much formal training you could take there that you know, it would take years for me to take all the different courses. And I got very passionate about uh, frontline leadership, a uh, program offered by uh, Zenger Miller. Um, it, I found it was fantastic. And it was also given, uh, the course was given in a way that was really a perfect balance between, between theory and practice. So you would take a lesson every week, and then you'll have a week to put in practice what you've just learned. And then you come back, and we had mentors, uh, we had coaches involved in, into this process. And I thought that was probably a, a career-defining moment for me. It really made a huge difference. Um, in the same package, uh, we were exposed to uh, Stephen Covey, The Seven Habit of Highly Effective People, uh, Time Quest, and, and several other courses that were really strong synergistic building block for me uh, to understand that you know it, it's not all about having the right meaning or, or meaning good to become a, a good leader. You have to have the right tools. And if you have, you know, the right intention and the right focus and the right tools, then you're going to be successful. There's, there's no way around it. And, and so that, that was definitely one of the most pivotal moment in my career when I got involved into the training offered by Hilton. And again, um, frontline leadership was probably the most influential 
um, tools that I have acquired over the years that have made a huge difference in everything else that I've done. Yeah. And I've got to imagine too, that in those early days of really taking advantage of those training and those resources offered by Hilton, that that really built the momentum that allowed for you to kind of grow within your career and become in the position that you are today. So I'm curious as far as really being able to connect those dots. And then now you're overseeing so many facilities and so many individuals, and you're probably seeing a lot of people who are very similar to what you were back early on in your career and being able to really, I would say, encourage or motivate them towards uh, doing that same type of immersion into learning because it's one thing for the the tools and the resources to be available and in many cases a lot of training of course is mandatory you have to go through it you have to complete it but then being able to I would say extend that further and then now you're in the position to be able to uh, to share and encourage others to really take advantage of those resources as well so where do those dots really connect or or you know how do you uh, continue to influence that towards others who are early on in their career? So when I first joined um, Dolphin Discovery, the Dolphin company now, uh, it was a much smaller reality. We were operating pre-facility back then. Uh, now we're about 40 facilities, so it's a very different uh, situation. And back then, there was not much of a you know, system-wise structure on how to train and lead the uh, training team to grow into leadership position, whether it's you know, leaders of yourself, leader of a small area, leader of a small team or becoming the leader of the whole team at the ideal location. So we actually established a school in-house that would provide different building blocks. Um, and it's, it was not mandatory. It was offered to any that were interested in it and motivated to, to grow. But obviously those that would choose it would grow much faster than everybody else because they were acquiring tools that would make them more effective at what they were doing. And, and it, it, there was never a need to say, you have to go and take this course. Um, the people were, were there every single time. And, and, and it became something that I'm proud to say is stuck with the teams that uh, I've worked with uh, to, to this day. And it's still one of the building, building steps to become uh, a stronger leader. It has also allowed us to create an in-house system to grow people from zero experience to the full top of our team. So rather than going out and searching for people that have experience from other company, trying to bring them in and adapt into our system, we were able to go out and search for talent um, based on attitude, uh, general educations, general you know interest, and, and start from that rather than starting for somebody that had you know five years of experience in training marine mammals or ten years of experience training marine mammals, and maybe coming with a baggage of habits and, and way of doing things that were maybe not aligned to what we wanted to develop. So that, that has definitely been a huge asset uh, for our company to have uh, such a, a strong trademark in the development, especially in the animal training team that is, you know, overspilled to other departments as well over, over time. Um, and again, it's made a huge difference on how we approach um, the development of our staff. So, Rodano, I'm wondering if we can talk about the dolphin company and how it's evolved over the years. So you mentioned, you know, many years ago it was three and now you're up to 40 something uh, facilities. So how do you decide which facilities to bring on board? Like, uh, I'm sure there's criteria and process and, and um, uh, you know, things that you have to think about and, and look for fits. So I'm just curious if you can kind of walk us through that a little bit on how you bring new facilities on board. Yeah, very much like a new project where you start from zero, um, acquiring an existing facility 
uh, it's a process of a feasibility study. And that feasibility study includes, you know, where is the facility at? What, what are they doing? Is that location interesting? Uh, obviously, any of the locations that we have acquired or built over the years, the biggest asset is, is the team. Um, so whether you have to build it or whether you acquire it, that's always a, a huge and important uh, starting point to starting block. Uh, so we, we definitely spend time getting to know the people. We, we definitely go out and, and, and get to know the staff, get to know how things are working. It, it, it all depends also which country, you know, we operate in 10 different countries and, and which restriction may be imposed by the company that is selling that location. Sometimes there's a confidentiality agreement. Staff cannot know that you, you're going to go in and, and become the new owner of that location or operator. So when those limits are imposed, we, we are just observers. So we, we go in as discreet as we can and get to know, you know, what we can observe just by looking at uh, the operations and, um, and then make our assessment based on those. When we can, we, we love to spend time with the, with the team, talk to people, get to know how they work and what they're passionate about and where they see themselves uh, growing down the line. And those are all excellent elements because you know, whenever you acquire new locations with a new team in it, what we hope to find are those that are going to grow past that location and past that team and can become of a, a larger picture and a larger team that oversee more than one park, maybe in a region or more than one park, maybe on, on, on a continent. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely those, those are very important elements. Now, when it comes to, you know, the parking itself, you know, the mechanics of it, uh, we have morphed over the years. So when at the beginning and the name sort of gives it away, uh, the Dolphin Company, our, our focus was primarily on parks that had marine mammals in it. Um, then little by little, we start to look at other opportunities. So uh, for the past maybe 15, 16 years now, we have also looked at uh, water parks, uh, mechanical rights park, and we've re recently acquired a few parks that are purely adventure parks. Uh, so zip lines and, and adrenaline driven excursions. So those have become part of our portfolios as well. And again, with that, with that process, we're also acquiring uh, in, in our team that expertise and that knowledge that is part of those operations. And sometimes you have the original staff that made that park happen and made that park very successful. And that is a huge asset for us. Uh, we, we've just, uh, uh, all, we're almost finished. We're 75% uh, uh, complete with the development of a new zip line in one of our park, adventure park in Jamaica. And our team in Cancun was very involved with the, with the planning and the, the logistics of it, even they have never been to Jamaica, but they were able to exchange back and forth ideas and how to make that a success and how to make it work out. And they actually, uh, from, from a purely uh, zipline project, they included a, a bungee swing uh, element to it, which is a fantastic experience. I don't know if you've ever done it, but it's so, sort of like a, you know, a, a drop platform from uh, 30, 40 feet up high and you jump and you have a bungee cord attached to you and a harness. So you're bungee, but you're also swinging. And it's the most crazy experience you've ever had. So when we tested that and we talked about uh, that to our team in Jamaica, they were totally thrilled, totally excited. And it went straight into the, the development project right away. So it's going to be part of what we're going to open up uh, at the end of uh, next month, most likely. Excellent. Wow. Well, that bungee attraction sounds 
Incredible. And hopefully I'll have the chance to experience that someday. Uh, curious too, as far as, you know, we talked about kind of what you're looking for when acquiring the parks and, and really what that whole process looks like. And then I, on the other side of that, of immersing the existing staff into the Dolphin Company's culture, uh, you know, we talked about, of course, there's all those all those training resources in the system that, uh, that you talked about uh, a few minutes ago, but doing all that while at the same time, acknowledging and recognizing perhaps what the culture was before and identifying are there things that need to be shifted or are there things that should remain the same from the previous owner and operator and really what that whole process looks like? That's a great question. I'll go back one step because you say, no, what do you look for? And I want to clarify that this is a team effort. Obviously, our CEO is extremely involved. Uh, Mr. Eduardo Albor has been with us since the, almost the very beginning of this company. And not only is our CEO, he's also uh, one of the shareholders of the company. And that brings a very different leadership to the front uh, of the company. Uh, and then we have a very uh, you know, compact team in, that analyze any new projects. So our CFO is very involved in that whatever that happened in a specific region, uh, we're structured so that we have a regional executive director. So if something happened in the U.S., we have a U.S. Uh, executive director. If it happened in Mexico or Latin America, we have uh, two people that work in that region and share responsibility over a different geographic area. And then we have one that oversee uh, Europe and uh, one executive director that oversee Caribbean. So they're part of the team that develop a new project in those regions and make those assessments that you ask me about. So obviously, when you look at an operation, the first thing you look at is, you know, what can we do better than what is getting done there? Uh, but it, it's equally important, sometimes even more important, is what we can learn from this location. And I can assure you that most of the time, we, we learn more than we can bring in. Um, and that combination create a very strong synergy in all other parks. So we can actually capture ideas and operation procedure, way to do things that we can take from there and bring back to all existing locations and make our existing location better. The perfect formula doesn't exist. And, and the person that is convinced that, you know, they know it best uh, are the ones that have just stopped learning. And we are very convinced that we can learn every day and we, we just challenge ourselves constantly, not only to look at the other part that we like to acquire, but we try to spend, and especially at our top executive uh, leader uh, team, try to go out and visit as many other parks as possible. That's always very refreshing and helps understanding, you know, what's happening in other parts, why it's happening, and what can we learn from what we are observing going out. It can be a smallest thing. It can be, you know, the biggest project. But if you keep your eyes open and you're curious, that will bring in a lot of added value to your company. So that's a big part of the evaluation process of an existing company. And so it, it goes from, you know, how do they manage retail? Uh, how's the food and beverage done? Um, how do you... They manage the actual operations, whether it's an attractions, whether it's a water park, whether it's an adventure or whether it's a adventure park or whether it's a park with animals. You know, how do they offer that service for people to get to know the animal? Is it just sit and watch? There's some interactions involved. What kind of interactions? Is it high quality? Is it what we feel and consider, you know, the best way to send a, an educational message out? Um, so all those elements come into place um, and, and we try to make up all wholesome analysis and come up with uh, what we consider, you know, it's, this is a perfect project for us, or uh, maybe this is not the best project for us. And, and, and I, I have to say, you know, price is also an element to that. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and one of the things I'm curious about is you mentioned synergy between properties. Um, and Josh kind of prefaced that question talking a little bit about culture as well, like the Dolphin Company culture. But then you've got places in so many different countries around the world that I would imagine that there's only so much synergy that you could have. Like you've got regional cultures that also impact the company culture. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about, you know, how different facilities, even if they have similar experiences like with the dolphin, but how they run maybe a little differently because of where they might be in the world. Definitely, there's always a, a regional elements to it. Um, surprisingly enough, in, in, in my experience, and I probably have been um, traveling between our locations, you know, among the top five of our people, uh, we'll probably travel a lot between them and, and, and watch and observe th those differences or similarity. Mm -hmm. And I can say that there's probably more similarity than differences when you look at, at it. You, know, you, you always want to tropicalize certain elements to it. Um, so, you know, the chicken jerky in Jamaica is very typical from Jamaica and probably wouldn't work as well in Italy. But there's something to be learned. So actually, you know, smoking barbecue in a park turned out to be a great asset in Italy if you just put sausages on it and people go like, oh, that's fantastic. You know, why don't we have a sandwich with the sausage in it, uh, just freshly baked from the barbecue. So just a simple idea to see how, you know, something that was working really well in Jamaica and chicken jerky is probably one of the most, you know, um, offer uh, food product uh, when you travel around uh, different excursions out there. Um, it turned out to be an excellent asset for us in Italy just by switching what kind of food you're putting on the barbecue by using a very similar uh, concept to that. Um, I, I transfer that to many other elements. Uh, we, we didn't have an animal experience uh, with lemur um, in Italy or in the US, but we have one in our park in Argentina. So our team members went to help out on the training of the animals down in Argentina. They came back and say, hey, I really love the lemur interactive experience. That's so much fun and so cool. Why don't we do it in Italy? We started in Italy and now we're building one in the US as well. Actually two in the US most likely is gonna end up and one in Mexico as well, because hey, that was a great idea. Why not replicating it somewhere else? Um, local markets sometimes have some peculiar things that are very, very intrinsic to that region, to that area. Uh, but most of the time you'll find that, you know, what works in one park will work um, on the opposite side of the world. People love to have fun. People love to party. People love to be entertained. And if you do it right, it works everywhere. I've got to imagine that there are uh, some external factors that probably impact operations as well, particularly the laws in certain countries around animals in professional care. And that's actually something that uh, that I've seen you've been involved with in terms of lobbying efforts, and you've even influenced laws uh, being created or, or being reverted. Can you talk a little bit about what that process has been like for you? Well, as a company, we've been trying to be very involved uh, with institutions, so, you know, become institutionally savvy is very, very important and also become an asset for them. So, you know, if you, if you think about how peculiar it is to take care of marine mammals, there's very few people that have knowledge and experience on it. So it, starting in Mexico, our, you know, CEO was able to offer and, and, and share the opportunity to the local inspector of the equivalent of the USDA in Mexico to come and train on how to do an inspections of marine mammals at our locations. So we actually walk them through it and explain how an inspection should be done in order to collect as many information as possible and make it you know, comfortable for the animals and comfortable for the team. 
And that was very, very productive. Now, on a higher level, when you talk about legislations and, and the development of new laws, um, it's important to have that line of communications with people that are going to be, you know, sitting at the technical table and say, this is good, this is bad on how to deal with uh, this particular issue and, and be relevant, being able to bring um, alternative or, or, or better solutions to the table. We, we've been very proactive in that sense. Uh, um, in most of the Caribbean islands, have, we've been regarded as the expert uh, on the territory when it comes to taking care of marine mammals. Uh, we were able to do that as well in Mexico and, as I mentioned, um, in Italy as well. Uh, we were actually a part in both in Mexico and Italy of, of very complex law uh, revisions, and um, we were able to provide significant uh, information to the legislators so that they would take decision based on science and keeping animal welfare um, in the driving seats so that, you know, at the end of the day, it was the results that would bring, you know, the best animals interest forward. Yeah. yeah, and I've had the opportunity to work with Miami Sea Aquarium and some other uh, locations that have animal collections, and you will not find, and I'm sure you're, you know, in this in this category, uh, people that are more passionate about taking care of the animals than the people that are taking care of the animals, right? Um, but I think what is unfortunate sometimes, and maybe this is where this the the guest perception intersects with laws and things like that but is the guest perception because you know a lot of times they will say things that are very you know maybe there's no truth to it you know things about animals in captivity and those type of things that um may get a lot of traction on social media um but i'm curious how you focus or how you deal with that as an organization knowing that you know the people in your areas are working for you have those have the best interests of those animals at heart and there's, there's no doubt that they're passionate about the animals, but there's this outside force that may think that they're doing some harm to the animals or just even handling animals in captivity isn't, you know, isn't right. So from a, I guess, maybe a, a public relations standpoint, how do you, how do you deal with that type of um, um, interaction? I guess social media has pushed us all to become opinionators. So we all have an opinion about just anything that's happening out there. Now, it's important to have some knowledge base uh, information. So that, that makes a big difference when you want to have a strong opinion. And when you don't, maybe ask the right question and try to find the, the right source. Uh, when you observe our world, which is zoos and aquariums, um, I'd always like to start from, from objective numbers. Um, in the US, you have about 180 million people visiting um, AZA uh, accredited facilities every year. Um, and, and that's a staggering number. That, that is a huge number. And it, and it talks about what does the general public think? They, they think that they will go to those facilities and recognize at least the value of the ticket, if not more, learn from it, and bring home some more understanding uh, of what can be done to protect those animals and their environment. Uh, you know, very simply put, that, that, it, that is really the bottom line. If you go to the European side of the world, uh, very similar. There's 145 million um, EAZA, that's, that's the European Association, Association of Zoos and Aquariums, which represent a very small portion of zoos and aquariums in, in Europe. Um, they, there are just a little over 400 zoos of about 8,000 zoos that are in Europe, which means that if they uh, receive about 145 million, if you put together all the other zoos, uh, it will be probably a much bigger number. Only EAZA and AZA um, track number of visitors per year. And that's why those are numbers that we can use 
with the comfort that those numbers have been audited and they're real. Those are, those are the people that have visited Zoo's facility both in Europe and in the US. If you take a worldwide number, Waza will tell you that it's about 700 million people visit zoos and aquariums in the world, which is about 10% of the world population. I mean, that's a very, very important number, especially if you think about third world country or people you know, that live in the area where it, it's not gonna be possible for them to go visit a zoo period. So zoos and aquarium play a huge role. And those that are inside those zoos and aquarium play even a bigger role because they're the messengers. They're the one that will be able to provide amazing experience for the guests that visit them and connect those experiences with, with strong and important information to protect the animals and protect the environment. If those information come through an emotional moment, that connect is very, very strong and will last forever. I, I always like to you know, ask people, have you ever touched a dolphin in your life? And if you did, that's probably a moment you'll never forget. And you probably remember a lot of things that have happened around that experience, You know, where you did it, who was with you, what was said in that contest. And that's my point. If, if you create an experience that is memorable, that will last a lifetime, and in that particular experience, you're able to convey important messages that then you've done the best education project you could have ever done. And so that, that's what we strongly believe in it. And, and it's not just with the animals because you know, in the theme park industry, we all believe we need to create very strong emotion, whether it's a roller coaster, whether it's a theme attractions, whether it's you know, a water pool or water slide. If, if we create you know, strong emotion in those moments, People will remember those moments for a long time, and they've lived maybe a family, you know, moment that they have a harder and harder time living outside our reality. That's so fascinating. I thank you so much for for walking us through that, and uh, uh, so impressive just to hear those numbers that you shared as far as the the people who are visiting zoos and aquariums uh, each year being one in ten. I knew it was high, but I feel like that that is uh, e even higher than I anticipated. Uh, and then you know tying it in with what you said as far as you know creating that emotional connection and that experience that lasts a lifetime. I, I kind of want to go back to the social media aspect of that as well because we talk about as far as as you said, with, with social media, we're all opinionators. We can share whatever it is we uh, we think, we feel, even like Matt said, in some cases, there might not be any truth to that. But I'm curious as far as, uh, from a marketing standpoint, maybe going on the offense about that and the social media content that you're creating to be able to say, hey, you're going to have this emotional connection because you're going to interact with the dolphin, with the aquatic life, that's going to create that lasting moment. And we're going to share with you why it's so important and blend in all the education, but doing that uh, with, with our attention spans that isn't very high and being able to, to get all of that uh, out in the open very quickly to be able to, to make that connection with the guest. Well, it's a very interesting new way to communicate. I, I, I go back a few years and just imagine how maybe our grandparents felt when the TV came out and they're like, no, 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 you know, informations are from the radio, you know, or maybe before that. And obviously those, those changes have been all compressed and now we're shifting new models of, of Androids and uh, iPhones every six months or every four months. So new technology is coming in so much faster. And new technology have allowed for social media to take over uh, media share. So when you, when you look at in, in general on, on a worldwide scale, um, the world population use an average of six hours of internet per day, worldwide population. 
And uh, out of those six hours, um, if you look up on the website of Hot Suites, a fantastic uh, uh, statistic on this, uh, you'll find out that the world population spent about 2.27 minutes, two hours and 27 minutes a day on social media. I, I don't think there's anybody out there that spend that much time watching the news on TV. So that, that has become the source of news for all of us. If something happened um, in, in Bangladesh now, um, one minute later, everybody will know about it. If it's a relevant news, it, it, it'll be flowing through you know, any type of social media, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, and everybody's gonna race on their WhatsApp chat and say, hey, have you heard about what's happened in Bangladesh? And it's really a social phenomenon. It's almost like, you know, you're best if you find out about that info the fastest, you know, and before anybody else. Even if you have just a bit and pieces of it, maybe, maybe you don't have the full picture, but you know about it. So understanding that is step one. Using it correctly is step two. And that's very difficult. That transition is huge. It's not small at all. So uh, I was recently in a Yapa meeting up in London and uh, uh, you, I believe you were there just with me. And when I said to the audience, and this was the, the CEO breakfast, and I asked everybody to raise their hand if they had TikTok installed in their cell phone, uh, there were probably like two, three people in the, in the room with over 250 people that raised their hand. And they all believe that TikTok is for kids and it's you know music and dancing. Um, TikTok is nowadays the, the most prominent source of information for the public out there. Um, and there may be some age um, discrepancy there. But in general, that, that, that is really true. So I say that because if you're communicating on TikTok, um, you can do that every day, uh, multiple times a day. Um, all of a sudden, your park is an audience that is 10 times bigger, 1,000 times bigger, a million times bigger than your regular audience to come and visit you. You may have people following your you know, TikTok channel, your Facebook channel, your Instagram channel from the other side of the world. They may never come and visit you, but they're following you every day because you have relevant content and you're sending messages out that is of their interest. And they will share those messages for you as well. Um, and they will start to learn and understand what you do and how you do it. Now, the trick is, is it's like a stand-up comedian. You know, everybody's going out there to do a stand-up comedy, but not everybody's as good. And those that are really good will, will be booked everywhere and they will go everywhere. They'll be, you know, on um, different channels. And those that are not good, they're still doing it, but they're not good. And so that's why they're not becoming popular. So doing it right is the first step. Doing it right, both with the science and the art of it, it it's really the ultimate. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. So the rules of engagement on social media, you know, if you look up on any tutorial on YouTube, you can probably learn it in a few hours. You know, the rules of engagement. How to use them correctly, that, that may take a long time. Now, those that are really good at it, um, they may go through that process exponentially faster, but those are the true influencer. Now in the theme park industry, we should be the influencer. Uh, we, we heard a lot of talk about metaverse, which is really an extension, a new dimension of social media. Um, so you're adding dimension to something that already exists. And how active are uh, our, our peers in our industry on, on that type of work? Very low. Very little. And that's what we need to really focus on it, start to become more active. Uh, I was fascinating when I looked up with the TikTok of George Aquarium um, account. They have over 1.5 million people following them. And, you know, Mystic Aquarium is up there too. And, and a lot of the companies in, in the theme park industry are very active. Other big park don't even have an account. 
And that's how crazy it is at this particular time and age where some people are not caught up with that. They're not involved in that side and or they're not collaborating or, or working with strong influencer from the outside or strong influencer from within. Uh, there's some parts I've seen, you know, staff members that have become huge influencers. And it could be somebody from maintenance. It doesn't have to be somebody that is, you know, used and accustomed to speak to the guest in the front. But they can make a huge difference. Uh, we had in one of our locations uh, who become the most prominent influencer is a veterinarian. And, and I have to say that she's a great girl. She's a great vet. Uh, I would have never bet that she could become our influencer. Everybody knows her by name. And when they walk into the park, the first thing they ask is, you know, where's the vet? And, and they want to meet her. They want to take a picture with her. They want to sign autographs with her. That tells us loudly what we can do better, what we can do more to communicate with our public. I, I visualize it as a window on our park that is always open where people can get to know you better, become your strongest supporter, your stronger ally, and understand what you do without filters. So they don't have to you know, rely on what other people are saying about you. They can watch it, they can see it, and they can understand who you are and what you really do, what you care about it. And that, I think, is the best tool we have nowadays, if we use it right. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the challenge is if you use it right. Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. And, you know, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, but I'm also kind of wondering, you know, you talk about, you know, getting the message out to the guests and showing them who you're, who you're all about and that type of thing. Do you find you have a similar impact on maybe even future team members or future potential uh, applicants where they can get to know who you are as well. And then you're helping to kind of foster the culture out there. And then they say, Oh, that's some, someplace, not only I want to visit, but I want to work there. Do you find that that happens too? Yeah, that definitely happens. And I've seen it a lot, a lot. Um, just recently I was uh, with two different girls in, in our, one of our park in Italy, Zumarine. Uh, they came up to me with their parents. One was 12 years old. She said, you know, she came here four years ago and that uh, she's fixed. She's going to be a veterinarian. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And we were sharing uh, ideas and things that she could do. She was taking notes and her parents were taking notes and they were all, full. it was a family, it was a family commitment. They're going to do everything they can to give that girl the opportunity to become a vet. Um, I, I, I was not able to hire her, but one, one lady contacted me once. Uh, we were on a flight together. We were talking about dolphins. Her, her daughter was sitting next to me. They ended up uh, landing in the same place where we had a facility. They went, they did a, a swim program. It wasn't, it wasn't in their plan. That girl ended up doing marine biology and she became a biologist to work with marine mammals because of that experience. And the, the grandma, not the mother, the grandmother wrote to me and said, you know, I want, I want you to know what kind of influence you had on my granddaughter. Uh, and we share contact and we keep in, in touch today. So it, it, it's, I've had that type of experience so many times it's unbelievable and it's so rewarding you know one of our um flow rider instructor in italy was one of our annual passover he started to go on the flow rider when he was 12 years old when he was 16 he started to work as a work as an assistant instructor and now is our leading instructor on the flow rider in italy just imagine how, how crazy that is and how fun that is i mean it's you know you learn about it because he saw that that that, that flow rider inside our locations People see that also from social media and now come visit us because they know what we have, they know what we do, and they want to get involved and they come uh, to see us. I love hearing stories like this. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for, for sharing these. It's just, well, it's just why, 
why the industry exists. You know, why are we doing what we do, right? To be able to have, and, and what you're sharing, you're talking about, you're talking about children, you're talking about the, the 12-year-old girl. So it's like, this is this is the long game. This is very much a, a long-term uh, impact on people's lives that you're able to have. I What I find interesting too, is you talk about TikTok and you talk about the um, the veterinarian who who is the influencer, right? That people are are coming to the parks and they want to see the vet because she's she's the influencer. They see her on TikTok. I that's entertainment for the guests, right? And what they're they're coming to the parks to is also for fun. It is for entertainment, but with that, uh, such a huge educational component of it as well. So curious as far as. I, the the best ways to really balance the education with the entertainment so that the guest, whether they're following on TikTok or whether they're they're coming to to have the experience, to have the interaction, uh, they're coming perhaps for, for the fun, entertaining component of it and making memories with their families and because they love the animals, uh, while at the same time they're leaving with with strong education uh, that they've that they've absorbed throughout the process. Well. The mold was broken several decades ago. Um, so some people start to do, you know, program like the one uh, Jack Montana was doing, uh, Jeff Corwin or, or Steve Irwin. Um, and they approach education from a completely different perspective. If it's fun, people would want to get more of it um, and they will never get satisfied. They will get more and more and more. So the, the vehicle was different. You know, TV was used at that time to convey that message. But really, that's all about that. I mean, you probably remember perfectly your best professor and your worst professor at school, you know, from primary, high school, and university. It, the best professor were not the one that knew the subject matter the best. They were the one that would make it fun and entertaining. Because if it was entertaining, you wouldn't fall asleep. You would pay more attention. You'll learn more because they were able to convey the message in a very constructive way. It's a lesson to be learned. And unfortunately, we are not as good as learning that uh, today. You know, a lot of institutions are still, you know, considering proper education completely far away from fun. If it's fun, it's not education, says who? I mean, it's actually the best educational setting are the one where you are having fun and you're emotionally connected. Science proved that. Science already proved that uh, millions of times. So if your brain is full engaged and all your senses are activated, you'll remember so much better. That's why you remember your first kiss. Because it was so crazy, it was so emotional that you remember your first one. You may not remember the second or the third, but the first one was more charged with expectations, with emotions. So why not using that knowledge and applying it in the experience that we design? If you look at a good horror house, when you go into a scare house, you know, the scares are, have a very relevant value in that, in that um, house. And it's, it's study. You know, people spend time in designing them and making them perfect. There's no difference between that and a great educational setting, a moment where, where you make things so much involving, so much engaging, that you're not going to forget a bit of what you were exposed to. Um, and, and so there's only so much more value to it then the same setting where you got the information flat, cold, out to you in a way that you were like, oh, boring, not interested in it. And it was still the same information, exactly the same information. The way the, the message was conveyed made all the difference in the world. And again, it applies to everything. Obviously, again, the dolphin company, dolphin discovery, we care a lot about interactive experience with animals because that's where we think uh, we are the best messengers of what's happening out there. 
but it, it applies to every other interaction and attraction that we do. I think, Renato, that's the first time we've heard the comparison of training and interaction and a haunted house. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. But you're absolutely right. The emotional piece of it is, is what makes it memorable. Um, one of the things I was wondering about, you know, thinking about the, the breadth of all the things that you get to do now within the Dolphin Company and all of your responsibility, you know, sometimes it can be a struggle when the thing that you that got you into this is the thing that you don't get to do much anymore. I mean, you know, working with dolphins and being a dolphin trainer and that kind of thing. So how do you keep that part of uh, your passion alive when, you know, maybe your, your day is more about meetings and, you know, Zoom calls and things like that? Certainly you've got the fun element and, you know, you can't forget about that. But, you know, sometimes... We, we, we might think we want to go back, right, and, and, and be the dolphin trainer again. So I'm just, I'm just curious how you kind of stay in, in contact with that, with that passion. If you ask most people that work with animals, why they work with animals, they say, because we don't like people. That's why we work with animals. Um, animals don't talk back. Animals are very straightforward, and we love them. Um, that probably would have been my answer many, many years ago when you asked me, why do you work with dolphins? And before that, I had a passion for horses, and I was training dogs. Uh, for fun. Now, the reality is that when you learn how you can make a difference in people life, that becomes the most rewarding things that could ever happen to you. And it's funny you say that, Matt, because I know you do that uh, for a living. You, you, you go into settings where you, your hope is to walk out and have made a huge impact on those people. And they can take something home that will change their career path, that will change how they approach you know, the difficult and the easy situations. There's no difference in, you know, when, when you work with dolphins, it's really the same thing. You're guiding them through experiences that you're helping them through training to enjoy the day and experience that we create for them in a very constructive way. It's all about psychology. Um, you'd be puzzled to find out that actually all this start from uh, B.F. Skinner, which in the 30s was actually studying uh, animal model to explain people behavior. That's where it all started. And the students of B.F. Skinner were actually the one that developed uh, uh, the training as we know it today uh, called operant condition, where you base everything that you're offering as a stimulus uh, with a, a very, very uh, clear outcome of the consequences. And, and if you, the consequence is desirable, you're going to have the behavior. And that behavior will repeat more and more over time because the consequence was so positive and constructive. It, it's as simple as that. Everything we do in life is based on three outcomes. I'm trying to avoid pain. I'm trying to obtain pleasure in any shape or form or a mix of the two. So this is what motivates us to do what we do. Now, when you learn that and you learn to communicate it to people and you start to find out you can actually help people going through the day-to-day -day in a more constructive and more positive way, that is fascinating. That, that is life-changing. And so my, my, my saying has always been, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate because what I get to do every day is actually make lifetime training come true. And it's true for the guest, but it's also true for our staff member. You know, if you can help somebody, you know, realizing their dream and finally become a dolphin trainer, finally become a biologist that work in the education department or in the vet department or on the attractions or on the zip line, um, that, that is amazingly rewarding. Um, it, it makes a difference in my life to, to know that I've made such an impact on other people's life. And again, I think that's my biggest blessing. I've been blessed to uh, encounter so many people that I was able to help. And 
And that's because a lot of people believed in me and I was helped. Um, everything I know, no exception, was given to me. Somebody at one point or another, whether it was through a book, whether it was through a class, whether it was through an interactions, taught me something that made me who I am. Um, I understand that. I realize that. I'm, I always try to remember to recognize those people that are still around me that can say, hey, thank you for helping me. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. And I try to instill that um, spirit to all those that come through the ranks of the, the, new, uh, the new guys into to our facilities. Thank you so much, Renato. This has been uh, just such a, a fascinating conversation. Really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to talk to you today. As we start to wind this down, if people want to learn more about the Dolphin Company or if they want to get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? Um, thedolphincompany.com is our website. And again, it's the umbrella uh, name, brand name under which you'll find all our facilities. Um, a lot of the facilities we have acquired over the years uh, retain the original name. So we have the oldest facility in the U.S. is Marina Land of St. Augustine in Florida, um, or Golf World in Panama City, Miami Sea Aquarium, uh, Dolphin Connection down in the Keys, many facilities in Mexico, and again, uh, Caribbean in Argentina and Italy. So through the dolphincompany.com, you can actually go down and uh, visit any of our location and get to know more about any of those uh, facilities. And as far as me, I'm, again, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, um, I'm, I'm not present on Facebook or, or Instagram, but uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to get in touch with me. So you're not on TikTok? Um, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> all the time. Watching awesome. what's going on. Actually, I'm very involved with uh, several TikTok accounts that we uh, operate. Uh, and I, I, I like to believe, allow me. Uh, that I'm a very uh, creative guy on, on some of the content that we put together. So awesome. I'm not sure if that's true, but my, <laughs> my, my, my team always made me feel like that's true. So, hey, I love them. There you go. There you go. Well, Renato, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. And for everybody out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.